that's an important distinction because oftentimes when we'll talk to companies about their frustrations with their existing team, they'll say, you know, we have a lot of folks who have gotten up to a certain level of production and then they've just leveled off. And we don't understand why they're turning in the same performance quarter after quarter. And so we will ask them, well, what do you look for in candidates? And sure enough, they'll say they want somebody who's motivated by money. They'll say a shortcut they use is they want to find somebody with mortgage or a couple car payments or kids in school, external pressures that are motivating them. But the challenge of using those external factors like money or external pressures is eventually the person is going to reach a level of production in which those external pressures are now relieved. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Christopher Croner. Chris is a principal at Sales Drive, and he's joining me today along with my occasional co-host, Howard Brown, who is the founder and CEO of Revenue.io, in what is another first for the show. On Tuesday this week, we had the very first father-son guest combination, multi-generational sellers, if you will. And today is the first time we've had two PhDs in psychology on the show in the same episode. Now, we start the conversation with one of my favorite topics, which is why don't more sales organizations have a mental health professional on staff? I mean, after all, we know, we know what the issues are. We've seen the data about the high levels of burnout and depression among sales professionals. So we get into the topic. Why are corporate and sales leaders so unwilling to provide the levels of support required to help deal with these issues that can have such an impact on performance and productivity? We then talk about Chris's new video series, Sales Psyched, unleashing the primal power of sales psychology to build and empower high-performance sales teams. So we, we talk about some of the issues he raises in some of his videos, such as why he believes the number one deterrent to winning among sellers is fear, which I think is a really excellent point. We also explore why Chris believes that the number one thing a seller can do for a client to help win their business is to introduce them to someone who could be their client. So we'll get into these and much, much more. Before we get to Chris and Howard, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review and give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you very much. And let's jump into it. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Again, Andy and Howard, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, pleasure to have you here. And Howard, welcome back as always. Thank you, Andy. Uh, Chris, nice to meet you. Excited to chat today. Likewise. Well, this is this is a first. So actually, yesterday was I recorded an episode that was a first. It was the first father-son selling tandem that I'd had on the show. Uh, father who'd been in sales for 37 years, working for a big company, and son who's uh, working for a SaaS company. So it was this really interesting conversation. And today wow. is the first time we have two trained, licensed psychologists on the show at the same time. So a milestone of sorts. So everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. Great well, thank to be you. Here. To clarify for me, I don't have a specific license here in Illinois uh, for uh, folks who work more in the industrial organizational space. There's not a formal kind of licensure uh, pr procedure. So just to be, I'd like to be very, very clear about that from, from, from my side. Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, I, and quite frankly, Andy, the reason we're both here is this is an intervention uh, arranged yeah. by your son, Alex. So <laughs> right. hopefully we'll be able to solve some of the uh, challenges that you're uh, creating in the family here. <laughs> oh, that, that's, we'd have to, we'd have to have a whole podcast just on that. So wouldn't it, wouldn't even be a, you know, a short series. It'd be a long series. Right, Alec? You gonna chip in? All right. All right. There you go. So that was a rare appearance by Alec, our, our producer. 
Uh, all right. Well, first thing I wanted to touch on is, is something that was a headline that I saw uh, <clears throat> in the sports pages this weekend. Mm. And it was talking about uh, – Man- I'm a huge soccer fan. It was talking about Manchester United. They've got the new manager they hired, Ralph Ragnick. And the headline was, Manchester United's appointment of a psychologist shows that athletes need mental wellness as well as high fitness and sporting skills. Now, this is the first hire the guy made <laughs> – coming into this world famous team was a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So why, you know, sales is such a performance oriented profession. Why don't we see more companies have psychologists on staff, you know, to help people both from a performance standpoint and just a mental well-being standpoint. I mean, I know Howard and I've <laughs> tossed this around a bunch, but it's, I just still don't get it. I mean, it's like, to me, it seems like if they're a company, maybe even with 20 sellers, you could justify having at least somebody on retainer part-time, if not even a full-time. I think it'd pay back quickly. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I throw it to the experts. Um, You know, I think it certainly would be extremely beneficial. I think, uh, obviously, on the sporting side, uh, teams have been more familiar over over the years. The familiarity has grown with the power of having someone on board who can manage or can help the team manage that most critical aspect of psychological mindset, you know, having the right mindset and using that mindset thereafter to guide everything else. If you don't have the right mindset, you can engage in all those other physical activities and it's not going to be nearly as effective as if you have someone who's able to help direct and to, and to course correct, etc. cetera. Um, I think in terms of organizations and looking at their sales teams, it's really just a matter not only of individual company culture, but also culture writ large. We often don't think about uh, sales as a, a profession that really would require uh, us a psychologist simply because people have the concept of salespeople as, as the individual that just needs to go out and kind of get the job done. They need to just be tough and, and go out and handle it. And that's really the wrong way to look at things. Salespeople who are most effective are those that are focused on one word, service. Uh, but and in doing so, oftentimes they can obviously use the, the help of someone who can kind of be on their side, who can help them to realize that sales, almost more so than any other position, is a psychological position. If you think about the demands psychologically of many other positions, whether it's somebody who's going to be a great accountant or, or in any other role within a company, even the CEO of the company, it's a little bit different than somebody who's going to be a salesperson, particularly someone who's responsible for acquiring new accounts and closing deals, etc. If you think about the person who's going to be successful in that role, whether it's an SDR or someone who needs to to, to focus a little bit more on closing, essentially, you're looking for someone psychologically who's going to be able to kind of go out, knock on a door sometimes, if you will, occasionally get that door slammed in their face, then knock on that next door with that much more certainty and passion and conviction. And psychologically, that's a very special person that we're talking about. And so logically, it would behoove any company to have someone on board who's an expert in that regard. Because I don't think there's any, you can make the argument that there's not any other position that that requires the demand of someone uh, psychologically that a sales position does. So I think as companies grow, uh, especially now, when they're beginning to realize because of the current job market that they need to take care of their people, uh, I think beginning to realize that having someone on board or on retainer. Uh, with that expertise, who can guide the team in that way, those companies that take that approach are going to find themselves becoming more and more successful because they're dedicating themselves then to the well-being of their team, which then, of course, redounds to their success with their clients. Got it. Okay. Howard. Well, I think I think Chris is spot on. It's It, it requires a certain level of psychological health, tenacity, and a person who truly does want to be helpful and of service to others to fit the role of a salesperson today. And, and quite frankly, as, as you and I have talked about any number of times, Andy, it's, 
it's not about selling. It's about helping. It's about being responsive. It's about solutioning. It's about great listening and mirroring skills. So um, like any profession, um, you know, support is critical. And if that support that's required for a salesperson is psychological support, absolutely they should be on the team. If you think about the fact that um, an individual going out there, and, and Chris, you said they occasionally get the door slammed, slammed in their face. I think it happens way more than occasionally. It happens a lot, right? So no matter who you are, no matter what your backbone is, no matter what your psychological makeup, that hurts. And, and we're human beings and, and getting rejected or feeling like uh, you know, you're, you're not enough enters all of us. And, and so having someone, whether it's in-house or, or out of house that can support you, that can help you thrive, um, is critical. I think about the, the role of a therapist, right? A lot of times they're described as wounded healers, right? They're people who have have suffered, all of us suffer, right? But it, they, they, in a lot of cases, a wounded healer is somebody who really wants to then go and support others. They've been through it. They can be more empathic. They, 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 they've created a mission in their life to be of service. But if that individual doesn't also receive support, also doesn't receive therapy themselves and work through their issues, they're probably not going to be as effective of a therapist as they could be. Same thing over here. A sales rep needs that same support because they're helping. They're constantly on the job. They're doing the grind. And so I think that the analogy between therapist and sales rep is really a solid one. And, you know, Andy, yes, yes, and more yes. We need people that will support the mental health of sellers just like athletes or anyone else. Yeah, and I think, you know, you think about sports psychologists, right? I mean, golfers, you know, all the professional golfers have sports psychologists because, you know, there are moments where they have to perform. And, and I think this is, you know, if nothing else, the analogy with, with athletes and sales is so spot on in this regard is Howard, you and I've talked about is, you know, for in my, my belief is, you know, selling is a, a moment of collection of moments, right? And in these moments, you have to be able to bring your best self to the table. And, and to the occasion. And yeah, we, we all could use help doing that, right? Because there's so much else going on in our lives or even within the job itself that you know, I just, I always sort of marvel about how professional athletics that, you know, it's a performance-based profession, just like selling, are so far ahead of business in terms of understanding, yeah, we need to bring this level of support to help people perform, be their best and perform at their highest levels because that's what we're paying them to do. Mm -hmm. So why not support them to be able to do that? Instead yeah. of, uh, and I think, Chris, I think it's actually one of your videos, you know, is instead of being the manager when, when times are tough, is you double down on being even tougher on people yep. uh, <laughs> instead of being supportive. Yes. And I think it comes down to the definition. You know, as companies define what is a salesperson. In many cases, the company, again, they're doing their best, I'm sure. But as they're defining that, they're defining someone that in many cases just, well, they're, they're a person who is likable, who has the gift of gab, who can be thrown to the wolves, and they can just handle it. You know, the difficult situations will come up, but we pay them to handle it. And the problem that that's going to create is, that, again, is oftentimes that's accompanied by kind of, kind of a churn and burn philosophy. 
Now, well, if someone doesn't work out, we'll just churn and burn. We'll just replace them with someone else. And then that becomes sort of their definition of how a sa the sales profession operates. And then they don't bring people on board to help out when the times are tough. And they just don't have that mindset of doing that. And again, I think the companies that change their mindset, you know, at the top, to redefine sales as a position that really requires that level of support, which then for which therefore thereafter uh, is only going to be helpful to prospects and clients. Those are going to be the ones that are going to succeed more and more, especially in the current environment. So, Howard, I'd ask the question, you know, you as a CEO is not talking about you specifically at, at Revenue.io, but I mean, as a CEO is, you know, what's what do you look at to say, well, how what's the trigger for us to really get serious about, you know, bringing someone like this on board? How would we justify it? Um, cause I, I mean, intuitively, I haven't sat down and done the math, but intuitively I sort of think, well, gosh, you have a certain size sales team. If you know, you can improve each, help each person improve, you know, 5% maybe even, you know, help them, you know, just make some tangible difference. You know, what, 20 sellers, 5%. Hey, do you, you could justify that cost of that person. Um, what, how, do, how does the CEO look at it and you know, what do we need sort of need to do to help more CEOs sort of say, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, well, I think you answered the question, right? It, it doesn't take a whole lot of employees or salespeople to justify the cost of investing in your company and your people's mental health. I do think it goes beyond sales, right? So think sure. about your typical support rep who's getting just hammered on a daily basis with people right. who are dissatisfied with whatever your product or service is, or your customer success people who are there to manage relationships. I, I, I just think that we all could use more coaching, more support. Right. So rather than just focus entirely on the sales reps, which, you know, easiest to justify, right? It's the revenue center. And so you can make an argument that, you know, in order to grow revenue faster to help uh, our, our team, um, you know, help with team retention, help with uh, overall performance, let's, let's bring it on to the sales side of the house. But I do think across the board, focusing on mental health and well-being, especially now when all of us through these last few years have been suffering in isolation, have had health problems, fears, anxieties, um, a crazy economy that's for all intents and purposes has been sailing, but on a personal level, you know, is, is challenging for a lot of people. And, and right. so um, I, I think uh, it doesn't take a lot to justify. Look, I, I'm, I'm interested, Chris, uh, your title is principal at sales drive, right? Um, yes. The whole idea of what you guys do is, helping companies build better sales teams through sort of psychological assessment. And that, can you talk a little bit about that? I'd love to know what you're hiring for, what you're thinking about, because, you know, as a CEO, you want to bring on the right people to begin with. Not that you're not going to support them, obviously, but where do we start? Yeah, good question. So, in terms of sales drive, our focus, again, is on, again, psychologically, the uh, characteristics or traits, if you will that we found do consistently tend to differentiate the highest performing salespeople of the world, particularly the ones that are focused on new account acquisition. We focus on that hunter role, if you will, simply because we find that that is the position, quite frankly, that most companies have the greatest degree of difficulty hiring for. 
Because of course, on that hiring side, when we're deciding who's gonna be the best person for that role, uh, the hiring manager, the sales manager, may not be experienced as an interviewer. So they're thinking to themselves, well, what do I look for in a candidate? I'm looking for somebody who, again, uh, is is likable, you know, or, or who has the gift of gab, et cetera, or who's interested in making money. All the things that, again, some, some of those are teachable, some of them are completely incorrect. And so they, they fail time and time again. So we set out to understand, well, what is it then that truly differentiates the highest performers? We got started uh, 19 years ago now, researching everything that had been published on that topic academically over the last, what, 85, almost 90 years now, as well as looking at our own work, doing behavioral interviews with sales candidates, and then circling back with their managers thereafter to find out who really does become successful. And again, when we looked at all of that data, Howard, we found that many of the characteristics that most people would classically expect to be important, of course, in successful salespeople, they were important. You know, things like, again, persuasive ability, uh, again, relationship skills, organizational skills, all of those were important. But above and beyond any of those by far were these three non-teachable characteristics that continue to stand out and differentiate the highest performers. Briefly, the first one is again what psychologists call the need for achievement, kind of that classic McClellan model, if you will. The person who wants to do well simply for the sake of doing well. So they're constantly focused on setting the bar high, if you will, jumping over that, then setting it higher again the next time. Constantly focused on pursuing excellence simply for its own sake. So what you what you call which yes. is called intrinsic motivation. Yes, exactly. Okay. So not money motivated but intrinsically motivated. Okay. Exactly. And that's, a, that's an important distinction because oftentimes when we'll talk to companies about their frustrations with their existing team, they'll say, well, you know, we have a lot of folks who have gotten up to a certain level of production and then they've just leveled off and we can't understand why. Well, you know, they call them flatliners in some cases. We don't understand why they're turning the, in the same performance quarter after quarter. And so we will ask them, well, what do you look for in candidates? And sure enough, they'll say they want somebody who's motivated by money or someone who has, though they'll say a shortcut they use is they want to find somebody with mortgage or a couple car payments or kids in school, external pressures that are motivating them. But the challenge of using those external factors like money or external pressures is eventually the person is going to reach a level of production in which those external pressures are now relieved. And now they're going to know what they need to kind of phone in quarter after quarter to maintain, if you will. Whereas the person motivated by need for achievement, for example, will continue to excel. They'll continue to produce. Money's still important to them, but they look at money, say, the same way that a great athlete looks at points on the scoreboard. It's how they show how well they've done rather than their goal in and of itself. So that's the first piece, need for okay. achievement. The second piece, briefly is competitiveness. And that competitive salesperson we find really wants to do two things. Number one, they want to be the number one person, if you will, on their team. They're always comparing their performance to their peers. They need to know how they stack up. But number two, they want to, um, in terms of influence, they want to win in some ways, as they would describe it, that client or that prospect over to their point of view. So they have that kind of that competitive focus no matter what, whether it's within their team or in some ways within, that, within their relationship with their prospect. But number three is optimism. And that's that salesperson's certainty that they will succeed, as well as, of course, their resilience when they face the inevitable rejection that a salesperson simply has to deal with, as we just discussed. So we find it's those three characteristics altogether. Together. Need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism that psychologically uh, create sort of the perfect storm, if you will. And collectively, we refer to those three characteristics as drive. And so that's what we help companies assess for with our assessment, the candidates who have those characteristics, keeping in mind that then we can teach things like relationship skills and we can help them build uh, emotional intelligence thereafter. But when you find someone that has those characteristics sort of like the foundation of the house, you can build the teachable things on top of it, if you will. So those are the things that we look for. Amazing. Amazing. And it makes perfect sense. 
over the past, you said, 19 years, how have you refined the model or that 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 picture of what is going to be the the top performing rep or those that are able to succeed what what has changed in the two decades you've been doing this and i guess as a follow up question once you find those people have you tracked sort of the success of that that personality of that profile to see if 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 in fact it holds true Oh, good question. So uh, starting out, so in terms of refining our knowledge, um, I think in in any position, any um, walk of life, you have to be a lifelong student. So you have to be continually learning, continually refining. And the biggest refinement I think that um, we made over time in terms of the model is how we weight, if you will, the, the characteristics, the three elements of driving, kind of gradually kind of perfecting as much as possible, you know, the weight on each of those three, how, how important are, are the three. And what we found is, and the way we weight them is, uh, our highest weight is now on need for achievement. We found although all three characteristics are important, need for achievement is the most important. Sort of that student, if you will, that just has to get an A. So that's the one that we now rank or weight the most, the most heavily. Second heaviest is now competitiveness, and third heaviest is optimism. So our refinement there has been really on weighting them. In terms of uh, looking at people longitudinally, uh, we don't have a formal study of that simply because it's very challenging, as you can imagine, to go back to companies and get for them to writ large give us all that data. But we have worked with individual companies, sending them, of course, the results of their uh, their candidates. Say a company that has a subscription to our platform assesses hundreds of people over several years, then asking them, okay, let's the uh, relationship, if you will, between uh, scores on the assessment and performance over time. And we always have seen strong uh, correlations, if you will, between those who have those three t- non-teachable characteristics, particularly that need for achievement, as you can imagine, and success over time. So though we don't have a published study, we have worked individually with our clients and found a very strong correlation relationship between those non-teachable characteristics, again, particularly that weighted need for achievement and the person's success over time as a salesperson. So great questions. So if you're working with a client a higher, that's a higher in the hiring motion, um, so how do you advise them how to write about the job and how to describe it to candidates mm. in oh. a way that attracts the right people? Good question. So, um, again, that person who has um, that, particularly that need for achievement, they want to know that when they come on board this company, they're going to have an unlimited opportunity to do well. And at first, it can be counterintuitive because I, I mentioned that you know money's not the uh, be all end all motivator of the most successful salespeople, but mm-hmm. you still want to make sure that you make it clear. For example, in the job, uh, the job description or the job ad that that's, that's an, that it provides an opportunity for unlimited, in many cases, unlimited. Uh, financial success. Because again, the person's not just motivated by money, but they want to know that they can put as many points on the scoreboard as they possibly can. You also want to make sure that it's clear uh, to that that candidate that they're going to be rewarded, uh, not only in terms of fi- financially, but also in terms of recognition for their success, and that they have a culture of hard work, if you will. The person who has that high drive characteristic, they want to make sure that, again, that they have a good cultural fit with the company, that the company really kind of bent, uh, believes in uh, someone who has that high drive characteristic and has a culture of rewarding that. So we actually have a white paper on how to write a high drive job description, so which I'd always be happy to share that with uh, your audience, if, if you will. But it's all about making sure that we, um, we make clear to the candidate that this is a company that values your commitment to excellence for its own sake, that will, will reward you for that, and will consistently give you opportunities to grow in the position, you know, consistently give you opportunities to grow in your career, if you will, if you show those characteristics, if you're able to kind of bond and connect with our our culture of high drive and high achievement. And again, we'll reward you financially appropriately for it. 
Right. So if I was to flip that, though, because I think one of the issues that that I have <laughs> and I see all the time with with job ads for sales positions mm-hmm. is that the language that's used, and even I think in the mind of the the hiring manager when the, the attributes they think they're looking for, that that no one really bothers to ask the customer, well, what do you need from our salespeople in order mm-hmm. to get your job done? And mm-hmm. what are those skills and attributes, right? And so anytime you use sales, I need a hunter, we need a closer. It's like, well, buyer doesn't give a shit about those things, right? I mean, they don't, they don't sure. need a hunter. They don't need a closer. They need, like to say, I summarize, they need a curious, open-minded problem solver. That's what they need to help them. Yes. So how are you tracking, you know, what you're assessing for to what the customer really needs? And I think this is a huge gap in sales hiring. Mm-hmm. So in terms of what the customer needs, I think the most important word, if I could distill it to one word, uh, would be service. Um, and I know that from, from my perspective, again, in when we do our videos and even when I'm just interacting with clients, the word that I use again and again is how can I be of service to you? And looking, making sure that on the hiring side that we're getting people that are motivated by service, are motivated by providing service to others. That's really the most important, important thing. Everything else kind of flows from that. If I focus on how I can be of service to you, that takes away in many cases, so many of the concerns, particularly that uh, early career salespeople have, am I going to get it right? I'm always on stage. I'm always performing. You're not performing. You're there to be of service to that person. If you focus on how you can be of service to them, all those other things will flow naturally. It's almost like if you're giving a presentation to a group and you're focused on rather than giving a presentation and presenting yourself to that group and performing, focus on how can you be of service to that group? How can you give to that group? And uh, in terms of that service mindset, uh, that's something that we can develop over time. And that is exactly why we emphasize that need for achievement because when you have somebody with that need for achievement characteristic, generally, again, they want to do well. Again, as I mentioned, it's like that kid in school that just has to get an A. They kind of have that mindset. So if there is any gap in terms of the way that they are presenting their product or, or their behavior, that's the sort of individual who wants to improve. They want to do well for you, if you will, as their manager. So they will take that feedback like a sponge and they will continue to use that. I would much rather look for that kind of that need for achievement, if you will, than the person who may know that, say, service is important, but they don't act on it. There's that distinction between, you know, can they do it and will they do it? So I'll look for the person who will, who has, who will perform, who has that desire to do it, particularly achievement striving. And then if I need to, I'll make them a student. I'll help, I'll help them to learn that those things are important. I'll help them to build that, if you will. But service orientation is really is really the, the key thing, making sure that you are being of service to that, that prospect. That, by looking for that on the hiring side and making sure that you also have that person that's achievement oriented, if you will. You then can help that person to then be of service to your clients and I think and prospects. And I think that's what they're, what they're looking for. That's what distinguishes any given company from any other. Anytime a prospect is reaching out to you, particularly in the B2B side, they want to connect with someone. But they're going to be reaching out probably not just to you, but to several people. What's going to, what's going to make you stand out is the fact that you are constantly focused on giving them what they need, finding out what they need, and giving them what they need. Asking good Socratic questions, making sure that you really understand what that person's about, being very curious. It's one of the most powerful pieces of advice on the clinical side that I got when I was starting out, uh, when I was uh, learning, if you will, in my PhD program, um, in terms of how do you you connect well with a a client. I had a supervisor who would ask me some very, very good questions as we were talking about different individuals, different different cases, if you will. And one of the more powerful things that uh, he shared with me is just get really, really curious about this person you're with. 
Don't worry about you know what, what you might think might be going on, but just get very, very curious about them. And that curiosity about the other person makes, makes you stand out because most people aren't. Most salespeople, again, because of, because of the way that they're trained, et cetera, they're not focused on really just getting curious with, with that prospect, finding out what's most important to them. And the more that you can make it about them, the more that you can be curious about them, the more that you can focus on the fact that you are of service to them and constantly using the word service, the more you will stand out and again, Hiring people with that mentality, if you will, the potential to develop that mentality will be of service to your clients and prospects. Hey, Chris, question on that. So part of what you're assessing, right, for these three uh, attributes, right, the uh, Mm -hmm. achievement, competitiveness, and optimism, I'm sure you have a variety of questions that you're asking in a variety of different ways to assess that. Yes, what, what is clear to me is this need for an individual who is of service, who is curious. Have you started to refactor your quizzes or surveys or questions to include questions around service or curiosity? Or is it something that we know, we feel, but we haven't actually, it hasn't made its way into assessments yet? Because I think that that's the direction that we're all moving, but there's very few surveys or tests that I've seen that have actually included those attributes and scored against them. Mm, Very good question. Um, In terms of sales drive, we don't specifically look at curiosity in itself. For example, things like listening skills and problem solving. We don't look look at those. We look at more of those kind of those uh, non-teachable baseline characteristics. You could certainly use an assessment, for example, of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are many good ones out there. I think I'm thinking of the Barone and the Mesquite and assessments like that that look at emotional intelligence because we can teach that. Um, However, one of the challenges, as you can imagine, when we're giving an assessment uh, for, say, developmental purposes to an existing team, that creates one type of, of, of stakes, if you will, or of a demand characteristic with a person, when they're taking the assessment, they just want to grow and develop, so they're going to answer honestly. However, when we're assessing candidates, that's a different type of stakes. It's a high-stakes situation. So oftentimes a candidate, even if they see a question that says, well, I'm service-oriented, yes or no, or true or false, well, the candidate, especially for a sales role, is going to, you know, in many cases, logically want to portray themselves as being a good match for the role. So chances are they're going to want to say, yes, they are, you know, service-oriented, etc. So that's one of the challenges, too, is making sure that we're wording questions in such a way um, that we're getting the truth from candidates. And that's what uh, oftentimes can be a challenge with many assessments. Um, we work on that ourselves in terms of the, the drive test, our assessment, but making sure the questions are as resistant to faking as possible. So we use a question format just incidentally called forced choice. Mm-hmm. So for each question on the drive test, the person gets a series of three statements, all of which are worded very positively. So a question, for example, may say something like, uh, I consider myself a leader. I have great relationship skills. I'm very organized. Okay, now which of these is most like you and which one is least like you? Mm -hmm. So of course, obviously that forces then the candidate to make some very challenging distinctions, but then it gives us a much much better sense of their real priorities. And as they're working their way through the assessment, we're monitoring their consistency constantly, of course, as they complete it, because of course, if the person is trying to portray themselves in a positive light or fake the test, it's gonna be very difficult for them to remember consistently what they ranked most and least across the entire assessment. So that's how we word the questions to make sure that See, now I feel like I'm back in my doctoral program because I got (laughs) certified to administer the MMPI and and Rorschach and all of these. Yes, absolutely. It's, It's fascinating to see the application of it towards sales organizations. What I'm also curious about is as you've done this over the past two decades and surveyed 
sales hires, are you also starting to see personas that fit for other roles within the organization? Because it seems you're interviewing or you're part of the hiring process specifically for sales, but maybe it's also surfacing traits where this person wouldn't be a great salesperson, but maybe would be a better sales coach or manager, or maybe a better HR person or a better customer support person. Excellent question. Um, yes, we are over time. We are, we, we've continued to see that, and that's a great example of you may get a situation where the person, for example, scores on our assessment, perhaps they're not as strong on, say, competitiveness or optimism is lower, you know, and they're getting a lower score overall on drive, but also looking then thereafter at those more teachable characteristics, things like relationship skills and organizational skills. If both of those are strong, I'll often get in giving feedback to a client, I'll say, you know, this person may not enjoy, for example, a role where they're asked to go out and acquire new accounts or hunt, if you will, but they could be excellent, potentially, in a customer service role, or they might be great in a management role. Oftentimes, of course, one of the challenges companies have is they take a salesperson who's excellent in that role, and they move that person then into a management role. And as I'm sure you know, that mm. Can be a great challenge moving someone from the you know the sales role to a management role because heretofore if the person has been successful in the sales role they've in many cases gotten results through their own efforts now as a manager they have to get results through other people and that's a very different proposition so again we don't assess we don't tell a company or we don't we don't focus on the drive test as an assessment for other roles but depending on how the person scores I'll often give guidance that although this person may not enjoy a sales role there are other things you might want to consider uh, as a potential for that individual and again customer service is the most common one somebody who maybe has great relationship skills they're very well organized, but for, again, for a variety of reasons, they may not have that non-teachable drive piece, but there are many other ways that they can contribute that they would probably find a lot more rewarding and be much more successful at it. And again, we'll often give that guidance to our clients as well. Got it. So tell us a little bit about uh, Sales Psyched. So you've got this new new series you're putting out. So tell us a little bit about that. Thank you. Yeah. So Sales Psyched is our series on YouTube. Very, very short videos, really designed to condense the best, the best of what we've learned over the past 20 years in terms of what is it that makes someone successful as a salesperson. It's designed for salespeople and sales managers, everything. And it covers just the gamut from how to uh, speak well to to, to prospects, how to connect well with them personally, emotionally, how to interview candidates, just snippets of the best of what we know. And we try to make it very, very short, of course. Uh, mm. That's one of the key characteristics of the videos. And that's very much on purpose because we know that typically the folks who consume that content are not gonna have a lot of time to sit and watch a five or 10 minute video. So in many cases, they'll watch a short one. So we'll, we'll send that out to our clients. And it's all about things that I've learned, particularly from the world of psychology. Um, coming into, you know, looking at the, it, by and large, the guidance that's given to salespeople and to sales managers comes from folks that have great sales experience, but not necessarily a PhD in psychology. And I thought, well, there's some there's a new opportunity that I have to be of service to those folks, to bring what I've learned, not only you know in practicing for the last 20 years, but also in build, building in, before then in the world of clinical psychology, getting my PhD, the best of what I learned in terms of how do you connect with someone as a therapist in many ways? Because as we talked about at the beginning, in many cases, the best salespeople act as therapists in some ways for their clients. So it's an opportunity for me to kind of bring that unique perspective from the world of psychology to salespeople directly. What can I share with you? How can it be of service to you in terms of what, the best of what I know? And that's what all of those videos are about. If I were to, you know, talk about um, maybe the, 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 one, the one most important thing I could communicate to any given salesperson that permeates through all the videos is, again, that idea of not only getting curious about someone, but also being of service. That's what all those things, mm -hmm. all those tips come down to in many ways. Finding out how do you connect with someone, how do you bond with someone, because when you do that, again, you're focused on service and it'll make you stand out. And all of those different videos are just different ways of kind of getting at that point. Different specific things, concrete things the person can do uh, to connect better with their prospects, to interview candidates better, but most importantly, to be of service 
service to clients. That's what it's all about. Boy, Andy, I understand why you put us together on this thing, right? He's <laughs> preaching the gospel or I'm preaching his. It's fabulous to hear. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Chris reached out when he had the uh, the new update and wanted to come talk about it, so that's great. Yeah, and I went through a lot of the videos, actually. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, good job. And um, yeah, you said people can find those on YouTube. Yes, exactly. Uh, YouTube and all the videos are there. And if anybody has a question, I'm always happy to help. Happy to send you the link to the homepage there if you wanted to include it on the uh, on the, sure the yeah, uh, we'll podcast. Make sure we do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, if people want to connect with you, what's the best okay. way to do that? Uh, the best way is just directly. Um, they can go to um, salesdrive.info. Okay. Or if they want to connect me with you know, via email, happy to include my email address on the page as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank our guest, Christopher Croner, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.